I invite you to take the Bible that you've brought with you and find Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're beginning a new study today on the subject of sexual purity. Verses 9 through 16 of Psalm 119 will be our text for the next six weeks. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. If you just scan it quickly, you will notice that it's broken up into 22 eight-verse segments. And each of those eight-verse segments holds together as one complete thought. And we're only going to be looking at the second segment. That's verses 9 through 16. And the subject matter of this particular segment is purity. And we're going to read it together in just a moment. Before we do that, I'd like to say two things by way of introduction. I'd like to say something about why I've chosen this subject and something about how I want to approach this subject. It's a sensitive subject, isn't it? It's a subject that uh, many of us may approach reluctantly or at least cautiously. And so let's talk a little bit about it right up front. First of all, regarding why I've chosen this subject, sexuality is a front-burner topic culturally. I don't need, need to spend any time convincing you of that. The culture that we live in and are part of communicates a lot about sex. And the culture that we live in and are part of teaches a lot about sex. If human sexuality is not the critical cultural subject of our time, it's in the top two or three. And it's good and right to address subjects that are at the forefront of public discourse. But sexuality is not only a front-burner subject culturally. Sexuality is also a front-burner subject biblically. Our culture is not the only entity that has a lot to say on the subject of sex. God also has a lot to say about the subject. Both prohibitions and celebrations... Large tracts of the Old Testament law are given to dealing with practices that are prohibited in terms of sexuality and the punishments for those practices. That takes up large segments of the law. We turn to the book of Proverbs and we find that Solomon uses a lot of ink to address Sexuality in particular, and warning people away from sexual sin. And then when you come to the New Testament, you may be surprised to find, and I was surprised to find, as I looked back at all of Paul's 
letters that almost every letter he writes to a church addresses the subject of sexuality. And that's just the biblical literature on the subject. That doesn't even take into account the historical accounts that we read about real people and the sexual sin and fallout from that sexual sin. That's all over the scriptures too. But it's not all warnings and prohibitions. The greatest celebration of pure sexuality is also in the Bible. The Song of Solomon God who made us in our bodies doesn't shy away from celebrating his good creation of our bodies and of the gift of sex. Sexual prohibitions and celebrations are all over the Bible and all over life right now, right now. And so we do well to give our attention to what culture And God are speaking about as we learn how to live as the people of God in our context. So that's a word regarding the why. It's a subject of some urgency and prominence, both culturally and biblically. Now, we are going to get to those those really big cultural questions about human sexuality. We are going to take three or four weeks after our study on purity to address some of the big questions in public discourse involving sexuality, specifically where Christians will diverge from popular thought and practice. Okay, We are going to get there, but we're only going to do that after we've addressed the log in our own eye. We're not going to fall into the trap of pointing out the speck in our unbelieving brother's eye without first addressing the redwood tree that's in our own eye. In this matter of our own sexual purity, okay? All right, second thing, still in the introduction regarding how I hope to approach the subject. Um, I hope to approach the subject pastorally. I hope to approach the subject as a pastor. That is, I hope to approach this subject of sexual purity with an aim toward compassion and the future. Not with an aim toward condemnation for past failures. It's not my goal to heap on guilt for past sexual sin. My aim as a pastor speaking into this subject is compassion and future holiness and wholeness and joy. My model is Jesus. Jesus, the chief shepherd, who was presented in John chapter 8 with a situation regarding sexual sin. This situation regarding sexual sin, was brought before him. Here's this woman who was caught in adultery. She's brought before him, set before him, and awaited his word of condemnation. 
And instead, she was shown compassion and directed toward a future holiness and wholeness and joy. Go and sin no more. And you may think, how could Jesus just let her off the hook? It it appears like her sin didn't matter. It did matter. And the reason that Jesus could show her compassion in that moment is that he was going to step in and take her place and himself pay for her sin. He was going to be the one surrounded by Pharisees and accused and killed. He himself was going to pay the price for her sin. That's why he could be compassionate to her in that moment. And I want you to know that that's true for you also. If you bear the weight and the guilt of past sexual sin, understand that if you have given your life to Jesus, he paid for that sin. He stepped into your place to bear all of the consequences and guilt and shame that are yours before God because of that. It's been dealt with. Therefore, any pastor that comes to you and speaks to you on this subject now comes to you in compassion and in the name of Jesus Christ who paid for that sin only to point you toward a future holiness and wholeness and joy. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a word regarding how I hope to approach the subject pastorally, aimed at compassion and aimed at the future with Jesus as my model and our corporate Savior. Okay? Now, let's read what this author has to say to us through the Holy Spirit, about purity, and then we'll have two pretty quick points, and then we'll be done, okay? We're really just setting the table today for the next five weeks. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, ending in verse 16. Let's read it. Um, Let's stand in honor of God and his word, shall we? The special subject is purity, and this this is what we read. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. We surrender our hearts and give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit for healing, for correction, for restoration, for joy. For Jesus' sake, for we ask in his holy name.
Amen. Please be seated. The first thing that we notice is a great question. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question, isn't it? How indeed? In one sense, it's a question of great interest to all. Not just young men, but also women. And not just the young, but also the old. I remember sitting in the, the old the old chapel, the old, old, old chapel at Dallas Seminary. And on that particular morning, the speaker was the chaplain. Chaplain Bill, the late Chaplain Bill Bryan. He was the speaker that day, and on the day he spoke, he was 80 years old. 80. And he talked to a room full of people in their 20s and 30s. And his topic that day was his own desire for sexual purity. He was 50 years further down the road from us students, still fighting. He was still trying to get to the bottom of this question. How can a young man keep his way pure at the age of 80? So in one sense, this is a question for us all, men and women, young and old. We're all asking the question, yeah, just how does this happen? How is it possible to keep one's way pure? Especially when we are surrounded on the outside by all of the invitations towards impurity, all of the advertisements, songs, shows, art, just daily occurrences that invite us toward impurity. And it's not only that. It's not only what's on the outside. It's not only things on the outside that invite us in that direction. We also live with this wicked heart on the inside. The heart that the scriptures call desperately wicked. That because of our fallen nature, seeks out ways to sin, lives in rebellion toward God and his law. We've got this heart on the inside that's trying to lead us in the same direction. So we have all these things on the outside and all this trouble on the inside. So what do we do? Well, we ask questions like, how can a young man keep his way pure? We know that God desires purity in us. We just don't know how in the world that's achievable. Let's take time to make an important acknowledgement here. When we talk about purity, when we talk about sexual purity, we're talking about things both external and internal. We're talking about both the thought life and the active body life. And Often in a church context, when we're talking about the subject of sexual purity, it's limited to what we do with our bodies outwardly. And very little consideration is given to the interior life, as if purity is just a matter of outward behavior. Jesus 
blows up that notion in the Sermon on the Mount. And he continues to blow up that notion for the whole rest of the Gospel of Matthew. That purity is only a matter of external things. That's the context he walks into. A religious context that views purity as only being about what's done done on the outside. Like washing the hands. Or keeping the law by not committing adultery. And he blows all of that up and reveals that it's possible to violate the commandment about adultery without actually committing adultery physically. It can be violated on the inside too. It can happen in the heart. What does that mean? It means that everyone in this room and everyone watching online is a failure in the area of sexual purity. Your failure may have been very public and very humiliating. And I just want you to know you're not worse than anybody else in this room. Not everyone's sin has had the same expression or the same exposure. But every one of us has been exposed by the word of God as a moral failure. Because impurity can happen on the inside where no one else sees or knows what's happening. I want you to know that you need not wait for me as a pastor to have a moral failure. I am a moral failure. A moral failure is not something that might happen to me sometime in the future. A moral failure is what I am. It's not something that I might do. We are all moral failures. That's why Jesus came Because we are a race of moral failures. And only he has succeeded at being morally pure. No one here holds the moral high ground. Only one person holds the moral high ground. One person and one person alone. The Lord Jesus. And the rest of us are down on the bottom, on our faces, worshiping him. We notice that in one sense, this... Opening question of verse 9 is a question of great interest to all. We all occupy this low moral ground. Those who have failed but are seeking to walk faithfully in this area. Now, in another sense, this opening question is a question of great interest to very few. In a certain sense, it's of great interest to all. In another sense, it's a question that very few people are interested in. Anyone in your school seem interested in this question? Anyone in your office or your friend group seem interested in this question, exploring this further? Any of the streaming shows that are available to us online? Any of those shows exploring the answers to this question? How can a young man keep his way pure? To be a Christian is to live a countercultural life, to swim against the stream, to be different, 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 and to follow Christ and pursue sexual purity 
That's about as different as you can possibly be from your surroundings. And I just wonder if you've realized that that is God's intention for your life, to be as different as you possibly can be from everyone else around you. That has always been God's intention for his people. Israel was to be completely different from all of the nations that they lived among. And where they failed, Jesus succeeded in reflecting the glory of God in a world full of sin. And now you, as his disciple, are called to walk that same path, live out that counter-cultural, different, beautiful Christ life. Now remember what Jesus said about the path that he is on. Remember what he said about what it means to live like him. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Living out the Christ life is countercultural and different and beautiful and it is also hard and as a result very very few people are asking the question how can a young man keep his way pure that's what we're calling a great question it's a how question and the rest of this section the rest of this little segment verses 9 through 16 gives us practical answers to that how question. That's what we're going to spend the next five weeks doing, is looking at all the practical answers to this opening how question. We're really interested in getting practical help, and we will. We will get an answer to the how. But first, we want to answer this question, why? Why should I do this? And this this is our final point today. We find in verse 11 the great purpose. We talked about the great question. Now we get to talk about the great purpose. This author has posed a really stupendous question, haven't they? Question that not only are they interested in, but we're still interested in it 3,000 years later. How can a young man keep his way Pure. And what we want to do is get inside this author's mind and find out why do they care? Why are they interested in this question? Why do they care about purity? They not only care about purity, they wrote a poem about it. Why is this important to them? And why should it be important to us? After all, we're Christians saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. That means we don't have to maintain a certain level of purity in order to make it into heaven. Christ has done that on our behalf. Therefore, why should it be important to us now to work? To work at this hard work when our lives are covered by grace. Christians 
Christians may give a lot of different answers to that question. And any particular Christian may have tried lots of different motivations to keep themselves in the way of purity. We may tell ourselves lots of different things, but here it is, to take it right down to where the rubber meets the road in your life, the question is, when you are tempted toward sexual impurity, either in your mind or with your body, what motivates you in that moment to turn your back on it and say no? What is it that motivates you to say no? Maybe you're looking for an answer today. Maybe you are looking for a motivation. Are you looking for help? Have you tried everything? Are you looking for a purpose? A Bible-based, God-glorifying, transcendent purpose for pursuing Sexual purity. If you are, I want you to know that there's an answer. And it's in Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11 provides that purpose. There is the great purpose for sexual purity that is unfolded there. Look back at verse 9. We're at the beginning. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, okay? So we see right away, the word is very important. The word is very important in keeping your way pure. Now skip down to verse 11. Since the word is very important to keeping one's way pure, we read this in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 9, the word of critical importance in sexual purity. Verse 11, so I have stored up your word in my heart. Purpose, why? That I might not sin against you. That's the only purpose statement in the whole passage. There's only one answer in this passage to the question, why? Why are you doing this? And the answer is so simple and so convicting. The author simply doesn't want to sin against God. It's a love decision. Not based on fear. Not based on guilt. Not based on expectations or performance. This person just loves God. That's obvious from reading the rest of the passage. And they don't want to sin against him. When we love someone, we don't want to sin against them. I love my wife. I don't want to sin against her. And I love my children. 
And the last thing I would ever want to do is sin against them. You may feel that way about people in your life too. And the question we're asking is, do we feel that way about God? When we choose to indulge sexual impurity, we sin against God. Does it matter to us? Does that mean anything to us? Clearly, it meant something to Joseph. Joseph, who day after day was peppered with that invitation by Potiphar's wife, that invitation to adultery, day after day after day. And his, his stated reason for not agreeing to it was, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Apparently, God meant something to him. That was his reason. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God meant so much to him that he said no. Day after day after day. What are we saying? We're saying that according to both Genesis 39 and Psalm 119, the great purpose for pursuing sexual purity is so that we don't sin against God the God that we love. Among the things that Jesus shared with that small, privileged group of disciples, hours before his death, that that small, tight-knit group in the upper room, among the things that he shared with them during those hours was his reason for obeying God. He shared his purpose in obedience. Now, we might have thought that his reason for obeying God was simply related to his redemptive office, as in, You know, in order to be the savior of mankind, I have to keep all the requirements of God. Otherwise, I can't be your savior. So my obedience is simply a function of my redemptive office. To be savior, I have to keep the law. That's not what he said. That's not why he obeyed God. He told his disciples why he obeyed. I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's why he obeyed. Not because he had to. He obeyed because he loves his Father. And there it is. There is our great Purpose in pursuing sexual purity. We pursue purity because we love the Father and we don't want to sin against Him. It's a love decision. So, 
So on the basis of Genesis 39 and on the basis of John 14 and on the basis of Psalm 119, I want to invite you to a new paradigm for sexual purity. One that is not based on guilt or fear or shame or pressure, but based on love. Something we pursue simply because we love the Father. There are other reasons to pursue sexual purity. Some really, really good reasons. Some really, really practical reasons. We're just noticing that this is the reason presented to us in Psalm 119. And that no other purpose is greater than this purpose. This great purpose of love for God. It's not a new idea. And it's not our idea. It is the Christ life. Pictured in Joseph. Celebrated in the Psalms. And lived out in real time in the first century AD. And now manifest in your life more and more and more. Now, how do we do it? How can we keep our way pure? We'll start looking at that next Sunday, Lord willing, okay? Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for lesser motives in obedience than a pure love for your wonderful person. May that love for you so consume us that the last thing that we would ever want to do is sin against you because we love you because you first loved us. And we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.